Let's uh, bow our heads and join our hearts and minds in prayer. Lord, on this beautiful day as we find ourselves just days before the season of Advent, remind us today and always just how personal a God you are seeking a relationship with us, not only with the boy, Jeremiah, but indeed all of us. Give us ears to hear, open our hearts. Amen. In Jeremiah chapter 1, we learn that Jeremiah was called by God personally, right? The Lord said to Jeremiah, in strikingly intimate terms, uh, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Not just Israel, the nations. So, let's bring it right back to you guys. You may not be a prophet, whoever you are, but is it possible God also addresses you in this life? If so, what do you think God says to you? Linda, Nick, Greta. This is, pretend God is speaking. Before you were born, Greta, Linda, Nick, all of you, I knew you and consecrated you. I appointed you to be what? How do you answer? That is the question. Jeremiah, of course, objected because he was just, he was just a kid, as Patrick uh, made clear. But God, I don't know what to say or how to speak. I'm only a boy, <laughs> he rightly points out. right? And God says, don't say, I'm only a boy. In other words, God was saying, I don't want to hear your excuses, for you will go to whom I send you and speak whatever I command you. Doesn't God sound a little, just a little harsh here? Maybe. You know, like a, a football coach. Eighth grade. But then the Lord says, don't be afraid, Jeremiah. I am with you, and I will take care of you. Then God put his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth and said to Jeremiah, Now I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. Again, wow. This is so personal. God reaching out and touching Jeremiah's mouth like that. What an image. The point being... Jeremiah, it's not about you and your shortcomings. It's about me. And I can get the job done. What excuses do we bring when God calls us? I don't, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I can't teach my kids about faith. I don't have a strong enough faith. I can't be on the visitation team. I, I don't have enough time. I, I can't serve God 
Now I'm too old. I've done my time. <laughs> I'm just a regular person. Not a pastor like you. I'm not called like Jeremiah. Oh, I've heard all these. Jeremiah's objections notwithstanding, years later Jeremiah stood outside the temple as people went to church that day and preached a sermon to them before they even got in the building. How would you like it if I started preaching to you before you even got in the front door? <laughs> Is there a groundswell to, for that to happen? Um, well, of course, except it wouldn't be me, according to this. Jeremiah wasn't professional clergy, but it'd be one of you, you know, Patrick, you know, or, or, or Ralph, or, or Allison, preaching on the front step as you arrive. Well, what did Jeremiah say that day? Well, it was just read to us. Jeremiah speaks God's words, just as God said when he called Jeremiah, and those words are a warning. But Jeremiah's sermon is also a reminder to all of those folks, and us too, that, oh yes, they and we do indeed have callings. And it's every bit as personal as Jeremiah's calling. Jeremiah's calling is to speak God's word and hold people accountable, especially leaders. The people's callings, the ones who came to worship that day, was to live God's word in their lives in the world, on Monday and on Tuesday. And by the way, this is personal for God. The sermon from Jeremiah is similar to uh, the one from Micah two weeks ago. Uh, do you remember that one if you were here? God calls out the Israelites over and over again, including today, the Israelites who are diligent in their worship. But they forget about God on Monday and Tuesday, and they turn their backs on their neighbors. Most significantly, the Israelites turn their backs on the people at the margins. Widows, orphans, immigrants. How many times in the Bible is that list in front of us? Widows, orphans, immigrants. In many ways, God says, a worship service only begins here in the temple or sanctuary. Then it continues out in the world that God loves, the worship service does, where all God's children have worth, where God is God. Even on Monday, imagine that out there, that too is the meaning of the worship service in the Lutheran heritage. The service of the people to God and neighbor is around the clock. And if we think God is only concerned with what goes on in the sanctuary, like the Israelites in Jeremiah's time, and treat worship as merely a refuge from the world, and if we become complacent in our daily faith life and neglectful of our neighbor, then God will, according to this, become harder and harder to find for us. In fact, God will no longer be dwelling here. Yes, it's it's personal for God because God will then be looking for people who understand that God loves the world and has a mission in the world and we are the very ones God has chosen to carry it out. That's the way it works. That's the kind of God that dwells here. Now, 
If you're like me, sometimes passages like this can be overwhelming when we seem to be charged simultaneously you know, with all the world's problems, with, okay, alleviating world hunger, finding shelter for widows and orphans, welcoming immigrants, what, into our homes, um, loving all our neighbors, family, and friends at once, all the good things that we're supposed to do and be. Hey, we're not God. We have limits. Indeed, this is true. But we forget that all the time, that we have limits, that we're finite, and that's the way God made us. Either we try to do too much and we burn out, or we don't try to do too much and we feel guilty about it. Or we're not sure what we should be doing and we just do whatever comes up, leaving it to chance. The great theologian St. Augustine once defined sin, check this out, as the failure to order the good. His reasoning goes like this. Since we are finite creatures, we can only do a finite number of things. So we must choose the most important things, namely what God would have us do, what God calls us to do. Now that means sin isn't always doing bad things. Who seeks to do bad things? Mostly not, right? But sin is often doing good things improperly ordered. In other words, if we try to do everything or too much, we fail to prioritize and we end up dissipating our lives like steam into the air. Then we not only lack focus, but more importantly, we fail to do the things, maybe the few things, that God wants Doug to do, Mary Jo to do, because this is what you're supposed to do, because God made you a certain way to do certain things within your limits. We fail to do the things that God calls us to do when we're all over the map. And now we're back to Jeremiah and the subject of callings. I recently had a conversation with a member who urged me to stop using the word callings because I was, I was told, you're a pastor and you have a calling, but me and everyone else in this church, we don't have callings. I get it. I, I, really, I really do. My calling is explicitly religious and most people don't view their everyday lives as such. And when we look at callings in the Bible like Jeremiah's, we think, well, that is pretty extraordinary what happened there, but you know where I live my life? In ordinary time and space. <laughs> this doesn't apply to me. Right? My response is, in God's world, every space and every day is sacred. Sacred space and sacred ground. In God's world, ordinary time is God's time. Because that's where the world unfolds. That's where our lives are. God called Jeremiah. God has called me to be a pastor, and God calls each of us. This is one of the core teachings of the Reformation, by the way, and certainly Luther. And my calling in the eyes of God is no more important than yours. Even in Jeremiah's time, God called his people to do justice, love kindness, care for the immigrants, etc., etc., for us today, think about this, after God has given to us God's only Son, there it's personal again, and the power of the Holy Spirit, even more so, do 
We have callings. God is right there with us and calls each of us to do certain things, but not every thing. To be a certain kind of person in the world, not all things to all people. And make no mistake about it, these are callings, just like Jeremiah, but different. Uh, to close this sermon, I just want to um, get, get real practical here with a question that I think people ask all the time. Maybe you're asking it right now. H how are we supposed to hear what God's callings are to us? You know, God doesn't use a sound system like we have here on Sunday morning. Uh, this is a lifelong quest and uh, will always be filled with searching and, and quite a bit of uncertainty even as there are discoveries. And yet God actually wants to communicate to us what God wants us to do, no matter what our age or stage of life is. This, of course, is the topic of discernment. How do we discern God's will for our lives? So when God says, hey, Jenny, listen up, we might actually listen. There are multiple touch points for discerning. Here are five. We'll go through them really quickly, and, and then I'm done. Um, I hope this is helpful. Um, and I recommend, by the way, doing them with others whenever possible. Number one, learn your gifts. If someone said to you, I'm going to equip you for a certain task, but I'm not going to tell you the task, you might be able to guess pretty quickly based on how you were equipped, right? So if I gave you a pair of binoculars, a book about native Minnesota birds, and a map of bird habitats in Minnesota, what might you guess that the task would be? <laughs> Bird watching, that one's too easy. As a person, how has God equipped you? Understanding this will help you narrow your options for what God wants you to do and be, because it'll be consistent with who you are. This is the work that we've been doing in the GPS class. It's about self-knowledge and God-knowledge. How God has gifted you from natural, natural abilities to spiritual gifts to passions to personality. These are all gifts that give you a certain shape for callings. It means you are equipped for certain things and not for others. This is one way God calls you, by learning about yourself. Uh, number two, explore... God's story. In the Bible, God has a story. It's primarily a story. And it tells us who God is. Preferably explore this with others. If I'm to learn what God might be calling me to do, it will help a lot if I can understand more about God's story and the kinds of things God does in the world. One of my religion professors back at, at Augsburg wrote a book about the Bible entitled The Book of the Acts of God. The Bible tells us what God did and does. What we do will fit in with there somehow. Doing this with others means we get others' insights and not just our own, exploring God's story. Number three, develop a prayer life. This could be when you're having um, devotions with your brand spanking new devotional books that you just received, or any time. It means learning not only to talk to God, but learning to listen. Learn to sit in silence when the churned up waters 
of your soul settle. When you pray, include things you're thankful for. Confess things that you feel guilty about and ask for forgiveness. Pray for people you love who need God's love. Be an advocate for those people. Pray for the world and ask for what you need. Number four, pay attention to your places, where you live your lives and the roles that you play for the people closest to you. One of my professors in seminary had a great point about callings that I've always remembered. And I quote, he said, I've got many students and they have many teachers, but I'm the only daddy my daughter has. Wow. Isn't that, that just says a lot. You think that's a calling? Oh my goodness, there's not a higher calling. And fifth, where do you see where do you see God? Pay attention to your everyday experiences and try to guess about where God shows up. Maybe talk about it with others who are also searching for answers like this. But be warned, you look at life differently then, that's for sure, if you expect God to show up here and there. Even when you're a kid, you'll look at life differently. My mom used to tell my brother Tim that Jesus was always with him even when he was downstairs riding his trike in the basement. When she called Tim up one day to have lunch, Tim didn't want to come. And why was that, my mom wanted to know. And Tim said, well, because if Jesus is down there with me, when I come up for lunch, he might take my trike. <laughs> Actually said that. Like I said, life gets reimagined if you think God is right there in Jesus and shows up. So as you leave here today, leave with this question, what callings does God call me to? Today and tomorrow. Good luck as you sift through the different options and try to listen. Amen.